You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. So let's get started. I am so excited about this sermon because it's not very often that I have an entire sermon just downloaded into my brain and I don't even have to do any research. I just have to type it out. It doesn't happen very often, but this is the case uh, with this sermon. And I'm so grateful that it happened because I just got back from our Chi Alpha Light Conference um, Monday, yesterday afternoon, uh, basically the light conference is for the directors, what salt, what winter conference is to you guys. We get the opportunity. We went to, uh, Ames, Iowa, and we get an opportunity to, uh, attend a conference and get fed into and, uh, have opportunities to meet up with other, uh, Kyle for director friends that we know from across the region. And, uh, we got to hear from some awesome speakers, but I'm exhausted because I drove. It's like, nine and a half hour drive Friday conference Saturday um, drove to Rapid City back to Rapid City uh, Monday and then finally got back to Shadron uh, yesterday afternoon so if you guys want to uh, follow along in your Bibles turn to Isaiah 43 we're going to be reading quite a bit of scripture today Isaiah 43 starting in verse 18 all right Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. You have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. So the significance of this, if you guys were here the last few weeks, just kind of unpacking what's going on here just a little bit so you can get a little bit of background information so you can see what this is saying. So what's going on behind the scenes, this is a a psalm that is directed for the Jews, and this is God's promise to deliver the Jews out of Babylon. And so uh, God isn't just wanting to deliver the Jews out of Babylon and then have them set up a kingdom that they just continue to struggle in the same things that they've been struggling in and just grow into this filthy, uh, horribly guided uh, kingdom that really doesn't reflect anything different than the world. And so what's going on here is God's promising to deliver the Jews and at the same time, he then, right after he promises to deliver them out of Babylon, he addresses some issues. And basically what God is saying is that I'm making all things new. I'm going to take you out of Babylon. We're going to set up this kingdom. We're going to do some things. But first, let's take heart to the issues that got you into Babylon in the first place. Let's take to heart the issues that got you cast out of the kingdom I promised and the land that was yours. 
And so let's deal with this issue of you guys turning your hearts away from me. Let's deal with this issue of you not honoring me. Let's deal with this issue that um, at, at the same time, um, as you're not honoring me, you're burdening me with your sins. And so, uh, and, and wearing, wearing me with your offenses, of which God is saying, I will deliver you from. So it's not a, it's, it's, it's not just him coming down on them and saying, you're screwing up. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. Everything's going wrong. You're screwing up. I'm punishing you and you're just going to be punished and you need to fix yourselves. Everything needs to be fixed right this second. Otherwise I'm not happy. What God's saying is like, he's like, I've got promises for you. I've got a future for you. I've got something in store for you. We need to address some issues first, but I'm telling you, I'm going to walk through this process with you. And this was even back uh, under the old covenant. And so if you're looking at this, wondering how that applies to us today, you have to remember that the Jews back then were under a different law. They were under a different set of standards than we are. And so the contract that they were under was a completely different ballgame than the contract that we're under now under Jesus. And that's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus uh, set us to a place where he took our sins upon his shoulders, whereas the ancient Jews had to take their own sins upon their own shoulders, and they had to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And it, the Jews weren't even doing that. They weren't dealing with their issues, and at the same time, they were burdening God. And so God's saying, we need to take care of this. We need to, to, to figure this out. We need to fix this before I deliver you out of Babylon, so that my kingdom, so once we establish an, a new kingdom, once I've taken you out of Babylon, that this kingdom can be a light upon the world. It will reflect completely differently than the rest of the world and the way the rest of the world represents itself. And so for us to understand this, I'm going to share with you guys a story. And I feel like this story is kind of the, uh, uh, a representation of how I interpret um, what this scripture is saying. And so this is a fictional story, so don't think that this is written somewhere in the Bible, even though it represents people from the Bible. And so picture this fictional scene with me. So Jesus is approaching the disciples, and he says to them, hey, I need each of you to carry a stone for me today. I need each of you to carry a stone for me today. The disciples ask Jesus, well, why? How long? How long do we have to carry the, the stone um, how long do we have to bear this burden? How long do we have to carry this stone for you? Where are we going? And Jesus responds, carry it as long as it takes. So Peter's looking around and he has this genius idea. God just said, carry a stone for me. He didn't say how big. He didn't answer our question. So he goes around and he looks and he finds this tiny little stone about the size of a dime and he places it in his pack and they're on their way. So they travel a long day. They're traveling all day. And then at the end of the day, miles and miles later, Jesus tells the disciples, take out those stones that I asked you to carry. And so Jesus says, can you all pray with me while holding the stone out in your hand? And so the disciples put the, the stones in their palm and they begin praying. Jesus gets done praying and they open their eyes and they look and in their hands where the stone was, Jesus had turned their pebbles into dinner for the day. The bigger the stone, the better the meal. And so Peter's sitting here looking on a crouton of bread, disappointed to say the least. 
There are different variances from steak to potatoes. Like, this is a fictional story, so we're going to lavish it up a little bit. There's a, quite a few variances, all the way from Peter's crouton to, uh, let's say, Thomas's T-bone steak. So Peter's a little frustrated. So the next day, Jesus rounds off the disciples again, and he says to them, I need you to carry a stone for me again today. And so Peter's trying to think ahead a little bit, and he's putting two and two together, and he's like, all right, I'm going to grab the biggest stone that I can possibly carry all day. And so he goes around, and he finds this perfectly shaped, like, 35-pound stone. He can barely even get it in his pack. He gets it on, and it's just wearing him down. Like, by the end of the day, he has a crick in his neck because of how heavy this stone is. And they get to the, the, at the end of the day, Jesus rounds up the disciples again. He says, all right, I need you guys to take out your stones. So they take their stones out, and he says, go ahead and just toss them in the water. And so they toss them in the water. And they're looking at Jesus expectantly, and Jesus is like, thank you guys for carrying my burden for me. And they move on. And Peter's a little upset because he's like, uh... Jesus, what's going on? Like, we carry this for you all day. But Jesus, knowing what Peter's thinking, as he comes up to him, Jesus says, Peter, I needed you to carry the stones for me. Which stone were you carrying for me? Which stone were you carrying for yourself? Were you carrying for them for me, or were you carrying them for yourself? So the first stone, which Peter truly thought he was carrying for Jesus, he carried as small a stone as he could possibly handle. The second stone, even though it was because Jesus asked him to carry a stone, Peter got the biggest stone he could find because he thought it was for him, because he wanted a better prize, a bigger prize, a better meal. And so I love this story, and I didn't author this story. Um, I heard it fifth hand from somebody else who's heard it from somebody else who's heard it from somebody else. But the story within it, and it's fictional, it's not scriptural, but it is an awesome story to get you thinking. And it got me thinking about, I mean, honestly, I can't count all the times that I've done something and I, that God has asked me to do, but I did it for myself. God's asked me to do something, but my intention wasn't because God asked me to do it. My intention was because I could see the benefit of it. And so really, even though I was doing something God asked me to do, I was really only doing it for myself because I wanted it to serve me because I felt like I could get something out of it. And I also can't count the times that I've been mad at God because I felt like I did something for God because he asked me to do it. And I, quote unquote, or and God, quote unquote, didn't come through for me on the other end of it. That I had created this bargain where I was going to do something for God if he would do something for me. I did what God asked me to do. And then I expectantly asked God to do something for me. And so in reality, I was only doing what I was doing for God because I thought I was getting something out of it. The problem with that is that it's, it's like bargaining with a parent saying, hey, if I give you a hug, will you give me a hundred bucks? Like we should be doing things for God because we love God. We should be doing things for God because he is God. Not because we get something out of it. But so often our motives are twisted. 
And I, I speak from my own experiences, and I'm not blaming you of doing anything. I'm just merely speaking from my own experiences, my own convictions that I've had from God in the past, and, and uh, they happen over and over again. But I struggle, and I have struggled with doing things for God. But yet, in reality, I was really only doing them for me. But because God asked me to do them, I played it off as if I was doing something for God. But if I knew there was no benefit in it, chances are I probably wouldn't have done it. Because, uh, not because, but when I come face to face with the gospel, when I'm reading the gospel, when I'm, I'm studying the gospel, when I come face to face with Jesus, I'm so often reminded that God doesn't owe me anything. Because there's nothing written in Scripture that says, if you serve me, then everything you ask for will be given to you. Actually, I lied. That is within Scripture. However, it's Satan saying it to Jesus. The only time within Scripture that you can read, if you serve me, then everything you ask for will be given to you, is the one instance in which Scripture quotes Satan himself. But yet so often I treat God that way. I treat him as if he's someone who, if I serve him, I expect everything I want in life. I expect riches. I expect things to go right. I expect the world to be given to me. But then when I stop and I think about it, and I think about Christianity as a whole, I can't even imagine how jacked up this world would be would be if God was actually like that. If God truly were the genie that we often treat him like, granting me infinite wishes as long as I meet my end of the obligations. Because as Christians, we know and we are taught and we see in Scripture over and over again, righteousness isn't about how many people we lead to Christ. Righteousness isn't about how many hours we spend uh, reading Scripture in a day. Righteousness isn't in all of the Bible that we've memorized. Righteousness is in obeying Jesus for His righteousness. The only way that we can be righteous is through Jesus. Not through how we serve Jesus, not through what we do, not through our actions. We can only be righteous because Jesus is righteous. But yet, I still know that deep down we all struggle with this. We all struggle with serving God for our own benefit. For the things that we feel like we can get out of it. And the reason I know that we struggle with this and, I, and the reason I know that Chi Alpha struggles with this, and I know the reason that I struggle with this, is because time after time, I can ask people to go get tacos with me, I can, and people will drop what they're doing to go get tacos. I can ask people to go play disc golf with me, and people will drop what they're doing to go play disc golf. I can ask people to spend $10 to go to a movie with me, and people will drop everything that they're doing to go and see a movie but as soon as I ask people to go to a prayer night or go on a retreat or put $10 to feed kids who are hungry in another country and give them a, a biblical education, all of a sudden we have to pray about it. 
It was easy for us to just drop everything we were doing. It's so easy for us to drop everything we're doing to go do something for entertainment purposes. But as soon as something has a godly principle and godly consequences and, and spiritual consequences, all of a sudden we have to spend extra time in prayer to decide whether or not we should do it. We don't spend that time praying about what movies we should go to to spend that $10. But yet we'll spend the time praying whether or not we should give that money to feed one. Like I said, I'm not trying to come down on you guys specifically. I'm just saying this is something I observe as a whole. If I ask you to sacrifice a weekend to go and play disc golf at a tournament, and I I know there's only a couple of you guys that play disc golf, but this is just a, a, a fictional circumstance. You can apply your own scenario to it. But I can ask people to go and sacrifice an entire weekend to go play disc golf, and they'll drop what they're doing. They'll spend 50 to 100 bucks to go do it. But if I ask those same people for 50 bucks, and like I said, I'm not speaking to anybody in particular in here, but if I ask those people 50 bucks, if you give 50 bucks and we can go serve the homeless, all of a sudden we got to pray about that decision. Because what it really comes down to, and like I said, this isn't targeting anybody in specific and in particular. So if you feel like I'm targeting you, I'm not. It's just an example But what it really comes down to is we will always give excuses to get out of the things that we don't want to do, but then we will come up with reasons for why we should do the things that we want to do. And for that reason alone, I know we struggle with it. And this isn't just this room. This isn't just the people that are in here. This is just Christianity as a whole. We struggle with it. I struggle with it. The staff members in here struggle with it. The leaders in here struggle with it. We all struggle with this. And so I want to have a giving heart as a Christian, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as trying to, to live my life by his example, my desire is to have a giving heart. And there was one day I kind of had an aha moment when I was thinking about having a giving heart and just like what that really meant, what it meant to have a giving heart. And I realized that every time an opportunity came up for me to give money to somebody, I would pray about it and I would take the lowest denominational value or the lowest dollar value that God gave me. And so I'd pray and I would ask what I should give. And then I was always secretly hoping that that number would be lower. And so while thinking about having a giving heart, if all the times that I've given money, and this is just money specific, if all the times that I've given money has only been out of obedience, then do I have a giving heart? If every time I've ever given, it is because I have been commanded to give, then do I have a giving heart or does the one commanding me have the giving heart? If I only serve because I am ordered to do so or commanded to do so, then do I have a servant's heart or does the one commanding me? If the only time I do something good is because I was told to do it, what is the true state of my heart? I want to give because I want to give. 
I want to get to a place where I serve and I give and I am good because I want to be that. Not because God ordered me to do it. I want to get to the place where when an offering comes across, if I feel like God tells me to give $50, I decide I'm going to give 100 Because I want to give because I care and I love. Because I have a giving heart. Not because God has a giving heart. But the reason I want to have a giving heart is because God has a giving heart and I want to be more like him. But so often we behave like the Pharisees and we boast about the things that we do for God. And sometimes we even try to leverage those things in order to get the things that we want from him. Basically, what we're trying to do is maximize the entertainment in our lives and minimize the God in our lives. And what happens then is we become the Pharisees. We do things for God when it benefits us. Serving him on our terms, in our way. But the thing is, Jesus is very clear in Matthew when he says, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Can I get you to play some of the background worship quietly? And so tonight I want to remind you guys, God has promises over your life, each and every one of you. God is wanting to show you guys and lead you guys into your future. He wants to show you and lead you to who you can become, the kind of person that you can become. God is wanting to walk you through healing for whatever is ailing you. Whatever you're struggling with, God is wanting to walk you through it. But so often, the one thing that is missing is that we're not denying ourselves and taking up our cross in order to follow Jesus. We're following him on our terms, in our way, for our benefit. And so often what's missing is that we're not serving because we want and love Jesus, but instead we're serving because we're getting something out of it. We're not necessarily serving because of what Jesus has already done, because of who Jesus just simply is. We're not serving because of him. We're serving because of us. Because God cares about the things that you care about. God sees your pain. He knows your hurts. He sees your dreams. He sees your passions. And He knows your goals. But in order to serve Jesus we have to trust him above those things. 
In order to serve Jesus, we have to put him first in our lives. We have to trust him so much that if he says no to those things, to those dreams we have, to those passions, to those goals, if he says no, we have to trust him. We have to trust him that he's got something better in store for us. And that better in store doesn't necessarily mean happiness. It doesn't necessarily mean bigger and better things. Sometimes that thing that is better is losing your life. Right now across this globe, there are Christians who are literally putting Jesus first in their life so much so that they are losing their life because of him. They're being martyred for their faith. There are people who have put Jesus first so much so that they've put him before their even life. And so when I think about them and I think about the missionaries overseas and I think about the people in sensitive countries who serving Jesus can cost them and their families their lives. I have to take a step back and I have to remember them because when I remember them and I remember the martyrs and I remember what the sacrifices they've made for Jesus, it minimizes those desires in my heart down to a healthy level. Because it's okay to have desires. It's okay to have goals. It's okay to want certain things out of life. But they have to come second to Jesus. Because when we put those things in front of Jesus, what we're saying is that this life, this wisp of a life, this temporary right here, right now, is more important than eternity. When we put our goals and we put our dreams and we put our visions for our future before Jesus, we lose sight of eternity. We focus on the here and now so much so that sometimes it'll cost us eternity. And now I'm not saying that God's saying that your passions and your goals and your visions and your dreams aren't important because God sees them. And if you think they're important, then God thinks they're important. But when we put Jesus first, sometimes God says to us, hey, I've got something better in store. And that something better could possibly be somebody else's eternity. Sometimes that something better could be our eternity. As Christians, we've got to gauge our success in life off of our obedience to Jesus and not our grades, not our money, not our cars, not how much fun we have. We need to gauge success on eternal numbers and eternal values, not temporary. And it's not all just in vain. 
And so as I lead up to this, it's not all about making sacrifices after sacrifices after sacrifices that end in death and terrible, terrible, horrible things. Giving up your future, giving up your dreams. It's not about that. Because when we do these things, something awesome happens. When we're able to keep our eyes on the big picture, something amazing happens. Because when we're able to keep our eyes on the big picture and we have eternal thoughts and eternal goals, we begin to have a joy about us. We begin to have a love about us. We begin to have a passion about us that supersedes any of our circumstances. A peace, no matter the turmoil. A joy, no matter the circumstances. A love that cannot be broken. Because Jesus is faithful to do what he has promised us. Because what this world needs isn't necessarily more doctors, teachers, park rangers, lawyers, and so on and so on. What this world needs more of is people who put God first in their lives. Doctors who serve God first. Teachers who serve God first. Lawyers who serve God first. People who keep their eyes on the big picture, remembering always that this life is temporary compared to eternity. Because the cool thing about Jesus and what he did for us is that as a Christian, heaven is promised to you. You get to go to heaven. You get a free pass into heaven as a gift from Jesus Christ. He has already given it to you. He's not going to take it away. No matter your sins, no matter your struggles, no matter your screw-ups, your home life, your past, it is promised to us because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It has been paid for in his blood. But Jesus didn't die so that we could have a life of luxury and ease. He died so that we could be an heir with him to the kingdom of heaven and his command to us is pick up our cross and follow him denying ourselves because the world does need you this world this campus Shadron State College needs you it needs every single one of you It needs the version of you that is putting God first. It needs the version of you that is serving Jesus over even your future careers, over even your grades, over even your money, your house, your car. This world desperately needs you. The reason it needs you is because it needs Jesus and you have Jesus. So this world needs you. If you think for a second that this campus needs Jesus, but you're not willing to put Jesus' 
goals before your own. And what you're saying is that you don't need Jesus. close your eyes Shadron State College needs you and these people just like you it literally needs you a you who remembers that Jesus comes first in your life A you that remembers what Jesus did for all of us. A you that remembers what Jesus did for this campus. A you that remembers why Jesus died for this campus. Because as Christians... It can be hard. It can be hard to keep sight of Jesus when we're struggling. When we are struggling with depression, when we're struggling with happiness, when we're struggling with feeling welcome, we're struggling with not having friends, feeling like we're alone. It's hard to serve Christ when we're burdened with all of these things. And so today in this place, I want us to get those things off our shoulders. I want us to move past depression. I want us to move past feeling alone. Feeling like no one cares. And so in this place, I just want pure transparency if you've been struggling with any of those things that I've mentioned I want you to raise your hand if you're struggling with even a single thing that I mentioned raise your hand You guys can put your hands down. I want you guys to open your eyes. I want transparency in this place. If you raised your hand, raise your hand again. Look across this room. You guys are struggling. The same Christians that I'm talking about, God will promise the world and promise joy to are struggling. And so if you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. We're struggling. If you're depressed, you're not going through depression alone. Life sometimes sucks. But the one thing that Jesus says that we will know and be able to identify each other as, as Christians, is the way that we love one another. And so I'm going to ask you guys today to put your agendas aside. 
and pick up Jesus' agenda and love each other the way that Jesus says to love each other. Care about each other the way that Jesus says you should care about each other. We thank you um, for tonight. We thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ, people to lean on. Lord, we thank you that your burden is light. That in fact, you take off our burdens. And so God, I pray against oppression. That for this week, nobody in this room would struggle with depression. That is our prayer. We take it a week at a time. God, we pray that you would heal us of depression. That you would heal Chi Alpha of depression. That you would send angels to minister to us. And the Holy Spirit, that your presence will be felt by us daily. Help us to think of each other. God, I pray that if any of us were to struggle with depression this week, that that person would be on the minds of everybody else in the room, that we would reach out to them. Help us to think of each other more. Lord, we love you and we thank you.